0: Hi there, this is Stuart McKee, host of Musicians FAQ Podcast. Please join me weekly where we have music and chat with some of Canada's hottest artists.
1: Frankie and Johnny were lovers Long gone but only good love Swole they be true to each other as the stars above He was a man And he was doing a wrong Frankie went round the corner To get a bucket of beer Said to the man, call the bartender Have you seen my Johnny here? He's my man And I love him so I ain't gonna tell you no stories I ain't gonna tell you no lies Saw your man Johnny leave About an hour ago With that girl named Nellie Bly He's your man And he's doing you wrong Frankie went round And a hop joined Bought along in great big 44 She went aside Now she's fine Johnny on the floor He was a man and he was doing her wrong. Oh, turn me over, Frankie. Turn me over, slow Turn me over on my right side, Frankie. Why did you shoot so low? Buzz, my man. And you done me wrong. Rubber-tied coaches. Rubber-tied hacks. It's gonna take my man to the graveyard and never gonna bring him back. It was my man, and it done me wrong.
0: That was the legendary Mae West singing Frankie and Johnny. Mae West is a very important character in the book Outrageous Misfits, written by Brian Bradley. Brian just happens to be my very special guest today. My name is Stuart McKee, and this is Musicians FAQ. My guest today is a writer, journalist, and biographer who works at the Toronto Star and lives in Hamilton. He spent over a decade researching the lives of Craig Russell and Laurie Russell Eadie for his new book, Outrageous Misfits. Through nearly 100 interviews and extensive research, Outrageous Misfits reveals the life and the legacy of one of the world's most popular female impersonators and his biggest fan. George Anthony, former entertainment editor for the Toronto Sun, had this to say about Outrageous Misfits. Often heartwarming, more often heartbreaking, Brian Bradley's close-to-the-bone, meticulously researched biography offers both startling revelations and an astute analysis of two uniquely self-destructive individuals who truly live up to this title. Outrageous Misfits is a riveting, relentlessly entertaining read. So joining me on Musicians FAQ this week is author Brian Bradley. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I was—we uh, were just saying before the show we have to give a shout out to Coral Andrews who uh, who made the introduction, introduced us both to each other, and I'm so glad she did. Um, right away, I was on Twitter and I saw something that you had put out on Twitter in terms of you know if the if the truckers and the protests don't want the vaccines, the free vaccines, maybe we can give them to people who do need them and do want them um, because I do remember seeing last year there's like a hundred countries around the world that still haven't even received these vaccines yet, so. But that's something for another show, and I'm not going to make this show about that. Uh, I want to talk about you, and I want to talk about, um, well, you're a journalist with Toronto Star and also an author. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about, before we get going with your book, uh, Outrageous Misfits, which I have not been able to put down. Um, and I am not quite done it yet, but I only picked it up a few days ago. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about your history Uh, where you're born, where you grew up, and what led you um, into journalism, into writing, and, and, and more specifically into this book. And I know you talk about some of that in the preface of the book, but for the benefit of people listening from your own words...
2: Well, thank you. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. And uh, I'll shout out to Coral as well. I'm grateful she introduced us. Um, I was born in Hamilton and raised between Hamilton and the Sudbury region. I lived in a small Francophone-only community called Azilda for 11 years of my life. And when I was there, I wasn't so much a nature guy. Sudbury region is a great place to live. If you're an outdoors person, I wasn't that person. I was that person who was inside reading, ordering all the CDs I could from Columbia house, watching everything I could on television. And I think, you know, pop culture is, is part of my, part of my bones and not even necessarily top 40 or current things. I, you know, I also love history, so I love learning about the history of things, the, how films are made and um, the introduction of ratings in the movie system and things like that. Right. And I, when I was 13, I was watching a documentary on author Lucy Maud Mon Montgomery, because that's what all 13-year-old boys do, right? Of <laughs> and, course. And I had a very linear look at the world. I was very naive. I didn't know very much. And there was a commercial for the next documentary and it was on, it's about this guy, Craig Russell, and it showed him, as far as I was concerned, cross-dressing. It talked about him performing. It talked about him living with Mae West. And he's a he lived with this movie star. And he was a tortured soul. And I was just kind of curious, like, who the heck is that? And why yeah. would someone like him get a documentary? I knew nothing about gay culture. I knew nothing about the arts. I knew nothing about impressionism. I knew nothing about theater. But it stayed with me. And I eventually went on uh, to journalism school and uh, to university in St. Catharines. And when I was there, I was doing research about a writer named Margaret Gibson, who she suffered from schizophrenia and she wrote a lot about in her term madness. And in researching about her, I learned she lived with Craig Russell. They were roommates. And as I came to learn, they were best friends. And I was just enamored and it actually became my hobby researching and learning about these two people. And time marches on. I had a, a lot of material. And by 2017, I was working at the Star. And I just thought I was writing a piece, um, a reflective piece about when Craig got married. And I felt like I opened up Niagara Falls in terms of information and sources and tales to tell. And I had grown up enough that I just thought, I have interest and empathy for Craig. I wanted to explore and understand all of these things that happened in his life that were so public. And in researching about him, I I came to learn about his wife and I was as equally intrigued of who marries the female impressionist and why, and what are her motivations and what was her life like? And, you know, my journey and my life's journey kind of fell in in lockstep with their story, I think.
0: Nice. Yeah. I mean, it's quite and a, a phenomenal story. And I think like you, I had probably um, had some sort of awareness of, of who he was back in my early teens as well. Um, I was aware of the movie Outrageous. Um, I'm not sure that I saw the whole thing. I'm not sure I was even old enough to see it when it came out. Um, but I do remember, um, you know, that being just out there and and just very, very interesting and, and, and alluring. Um, and I went back over YouTube over the last sort of few days and, and watched some clips from that as well. And it was, it was very cool. I mean, a lot of those clips and, and the book um, you talk about sort of Toronto now and it, or, or sorry, Toronto then versus now it's interesting, you know, Toronto in the sixties and the seventies and even into the low early eighties. Um, and I guess even back in the fifties, I mean, what a change. I mean, it's, you know over a course of 60 50 40 and even 30 years um, yeah. you know when we were teenagers and and where it is now just in terms of um, the acceptance of the lgbtq uh, 2s culture and and that um, and I can remember walking around in Toronto um, you know and when there were still attacks happening on people in the in the community and I remember you referenced the the murder of uh, Emmanuel, the shoeshine boy. And I remember reading that in the paper when that first happened, I think it was just an anniversary of that recently. But um, so, I mean, certainly, certainly things when Craig was coming up and when Laurie were coming up a lot different than maybe people today. Um, and we did talk a little bit before the show in terms of how you had to leave the country back then sort of be to be successful. Um mm. But with all of that, um, I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's just a great book. I mean, there's so much tied into it. But I mean, you know, and, and the fact that it's a, a, a book about a, a Canadian legend or a Canadian icon um, written by a Canadian author, I mean, I, I love that. Um, so tell me a little bit about the history of, of Craig uh, versus the history of Laurie. Um what, what struck me, and there's obviously some commonalities, um, abuse being one of them. Um, and, and Craig having a very abusive father that wouldn't accept him, but a very nurturing mother, and then sort of the opposite for Lori. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about those dynamics and and how do you think that shaped them?
2: You're certainly right. Right. In terms of toronto history you think toronto metropolitan we must be so socially advanced right and it wasn't all that long ago that toronto was just mired in this toronto the good mentality you know stay in your lane be home by nine don't ruffle any feathers don't go out on sunday and that was never craig russell craig was born in 1948 and adopted by a couple who lived in scarborough uh russell and norma edie and uh they were insurance salesmen and his father had been in the army and her family was in Port Perry. And starting from when he was very, very young, little Craig Eady was a performer. He was an entertainer. He was outgoing. He was effeminate. Um, the Norma's family, the Halls from Port Perry, they were known for their parties and big gatherings. And there would be little Craig Eady trying to entertain people. And after people left, he would impersonate them. And you know, he picked up their on their idiosyncrasies and, and he wasn't afraid to explore femininity. He liked to put on his mother's shoes and pretend to be a woman or listen to female singers with his mom and and, and, and perform as um, Lucille Ball, for instance. And, but his father did not like that. And there was a push and pull the whole time where this father is trying to raise a son the way he understands a man to be and his son never fitting into that mold. And eventually Norma and Russell divorced because Norma was able to embrace and understand and love her son as he was, even her whole family did when Craig was five years old his grandmother gave him a pair of earrings as a gift, I don't Mm -hmm. know a lot of grandmothers in 1953 who were giving their grandsons earrings right yeah yeah and so he had a nurturing environment at home and not so much within his dad's home and he turned into the world of entertainment for escape and for role models and he would listen to Judy Garland and find all the hope and love that he and and emotional expression that he wasn't finding with his dad Lori, very similar. She was she was born to a young couple who had three children very quickly, and and shortly thereafter, two more. His her father was a salesman, very outgoing. He he's out at the Jays games. He's out at the track. Um, but a mother who didn't love her and treated her very poorly, and, and an abusive, physically and emotionally abusive person. And Lori found escapism in the world of make believe. She. She would, you know, she just loved so she would dive in so intensely into the world of entertainment and express love through the world of entertainment. You know, when she discovered Peter Allen's music, she ran out to Sam the Record Man on Young Street, the old big flagship we all know and love, mm-hmm. bought all of his records, memorized them went to his show and sang every song from memory. She loved intensely. And that's how trauma shaped her. And that is eventually how she found Craig. By the t- time Craig was off performing in the world as a female impressionist, there was teenage Lori following his career and eventually in the audience and um, wanting to be part of his world because the land of, of theater was a, a place of magic and make-believe and a place of safety.
0: There, there's so many things that come out of that relationship. I mean, there's a couple of things I'm thinking, and I think you maybe reference one of them in the book in terms of or maybe both, in terms of, you know, how does a guy like Craig suddenly meet somebody like Mae West and be hanging out and living there in California? But by the same token, you know, a fan like Laurie, um and 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 Craig, I think I you know, I'm not sure at what point I remember coming out in the book that, you know, he identified as gay, but um, you know, how they became a couple but also how does somebody who's just a fan and, you know, starts following somebody around and then eventually becomes friends and, and part of the organization. And then, you know, I haven't gotten to the part yet where they actually got married. Um, but, but it's incredible um, that that happens. And one of the things you touched on, and I know I'm throwing a bunch of things out, but I'm just, I'm so excited about this book and it, I've had all these thoughts and I've had a chance to process, but um, where, you know, you talked about Lori kind of accepting the abuse. Um, she just assumed that's kind of the way it was with everybody. And I can identify a little bit um, coming from an alcoholic father, um, but it isn't until you get out in the little, in the world a bit and you kind of go, well, no, it's not like that for everybody. Um, and then there's part of her that kind of almost felt like she deserved that as well. So some interesting mm-hmm. dynamics there anyways.
2: But um I think in, in Lori's life, she accepted that whatever bad, were to come at her that it would happen to her because of who she was and she was but she never victimized herself she took whatever came at her and carried on and as as if she had she got to the point where she was so traumatized that it's like she flicked off the switch marked pain in her mind and Mm -hmm. she could take anything that was thrown at her she was an incredibly incredibly strong human being Craig was was strong too but he more outwardly expressed his emotions it wasn't you know he was very I'm going to say all over the map in his behavior and it you know he wasn't afraid to be the guy who's you know pacing and crying in the middle of the night walking in front of his house wearing a pink robe calling a friend for help and to have a few glasses of wine to get over whatever's upset him so he was able to express his pain whereas Lori was not um and they were both functional in very different ways yeah and you're saying i mean and lori ends
0: up you know i don't want to give too much away in the book but i mean um she has a sexual assault happen and, and just mm-hmm. doesn't tell anybody and just you know gets up the next day and just kind of accepts it obviously these things have impact mm-hmm. um but yeah just uh,
2: i i can't speak for everyone who's gone through such traumas and trauma including sexual assault and everybody's uh processes it differently but Lori herself, she actually wrote her own, some of her own memoirs and I was able to use them in my book to speak for her. Okay. And, you know, she said that she knew after her traumas that she retreated more into the world of theater, more into the world of entertainment, because it was a place, it was a place of safety for her. Right. And um, you know, it it also turned her into a giving person. She was breathtakingly giving. She uh, she made good money working in Toronto theater in its heyday, but lived poorly because she gave everything she had to the mm-hmm. people. And if you were kind to her, she would give to you almost sometimes to an uncomfortable degree. Right. You know, she loved the actor Richard Monet, Monet, and she would go to his shows and meet him backstage and hand him a bottle of his favorite scotch. <laughs> How did she even know what his favorite scotch was yeah. and who does that? And that's it's interesting. And I learned that through Craig and Lori, yes, how the hard times and including trauma can shape us all differently.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they really were larger than life characters, but you almost forget that they're they're human beings too. I mean, and they have those faults and frailties and, and the strengths. I mean, with Craig, uh, and he makes a distinction um, along the way that, you know, he's not a drag queen, he's a female impersonator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, you know, a lot of the people who were doing drag at the time were uh you know mimicking records and things like that but he actually had a great voice and he could actually sing um so talk a little bit about i mean craig as a as an actor as a singer i mean and what he got obviously sort of much like glory where he just became a sponge with everything and everybody but really that that relationship everything shifted when he met may west
2: yes so craig um loved the entertainment world. He was obsessed particularly with female entertainers and um, how he saw them as people who are strong. Sometimes if you look at old movies, the women are really, and female characters are really shaped to be submissive to Mm -hmm. men. And he was drawn to the strong women and the women who held their own, they all were strong, but to the women who were given a little license to do that, I'm thinking Tallulah Bankhead and Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, and but Mae West was top of the pops for that for him, and he eventually started the May West Fan Club, reached out to Mae West because she was a little, liked attention, and she actually kept one of her phone numbers in the phone book, and she got into her circle, eventually lived with her. She, he learned under her example how she responded to situations all of her stories about working in theater and in television and in film. And when he came back, he got involved in the Toronto gay community because drag was an outlet that it it just seemed where he fit, where he could explore femininity, where he could sing, where he could host, where he could be funny, where he could um, express fashion and impersonate. And he was the full total package and he did everything he could in terms of Anywhere where he could perform.
3: Never know how much I love you. Never know how much I care. When you put your arms around me. I get a fever that's so hard to bay, You give me fever When you kiss me, fever When you hold me tight Fever In the morning A fever all through the night Sun lights up the daytime Moon lights up the night I light up when you call my name And you know I'm going to really right You give me fever When you kiss me Fever, when you hold me tight Fever In the morning Fever all through the night Everybody's got the fever That is something you all know Fever isn't such a new thing, fever started long ago Romeo, loved Juliet, Juliet, she felt the same. When he put his arms around her, he said, Julie, baby, you're my flame. Now give us fever when we kiss it, fever with thy flaming use. Fever, I'm a fire, fever, yea, I burn for sooth.
0: That was Peggy Lee with Fever, one of the many classics that Craig Russell performed in this show.
2: But in a very short time, in only two years in Canada, as we were mentioning, in, by 1972, he felt Canada was really limited. You know, he wasn't getting booked outside of uh, what was the gay community at the time, which were largely after hours bars and and, and juice bars because they weren't licensed because, God forbid, they were for gay people. Um, he played airport lounges and and that kind of thing. But eventually he, he went over to the states because that's where there were no limits for him creatively and very quickly he was out there touring the us and every time he came back into canada he got into bigger and bigger and bigger venues and you know when he went off to the states his mom who was very practical loved him deeply but said craig you know maybe you shouldn't do this and maybe you should keep this as a hobby you know we you have a little bit education, you know, it's a little more safer for you. And he said, mother, give me five years and I'm going to be a star. Five years after he left, he made the movie outrageous, which was an instant, instant success and hit. Yeah. Just, just incredible. Uh, And, and it's interesting because I mean, you get a lot through the book that
0: he had tremendous confidence um, in some respects about himself, especially when he was in character and about his talent and maybe the reason why he stayed in character a lot, the same reason why he retreated to theater, because it was a safer place. Um, and obviously, you know, living with his mother and his two aunts, he had a lot of strong female uh, role models already, sort of in those formative years. So it, it, it seems to make some sense. And the, the, it follows this linear path of where he's continually uh, enamored and, and surrounding himself
2: with strong female characters. What motivated, I think, or also shaped an element there, actually, it was also his insecurity, mm-hmm. you know, that his need for love was fulfilled right. by being other people. So he, as soon as he could impersonate and do these impressions and tributes, it consumed him to such a degree, he actually never nurtured Craig Eadie, he took right. on a stage name, Craig Russell, and so as much as his talent was incredible, but part of what was shaping that drive actually was pain. And maybe that's behind a lot of artists.
0: Yeah, I, I think so for sure. I mean, I, I was stunned, I think, years ago the first time and I found out that it's kind of common knowledge that a lot of comedians are very troubled. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and the the people that are making us laugh and, you know, and you think, well, they're like, but it's not. And, and it, a lot of times it is that pain driving their art. And, and you know, certainly mm-hmm. with a lot of music artists, I mean, we've seen actors and, and musicians and all sorts of people over the years uh, and writers, um, you know, who have gotten heavy into drinking or drugs or a lifestyle that, you know, because outside of what they're doing, um, they just can't, they just can't handle it. And and I know even, you know, Keith Richards would say that, you know, when he was on the road, he never really got high. It was when he was off the road that he, you know, when he wasn't working is when, you know, mm-hmm. he didn't know what else to do and who else to be. And he certainly had an interesting childhood as many of those guys. Um, so, <laughs> talk about music. Um, and you know, as we were saying before the show, I mean, normally I interview musicians, um, and you know, I, to me, you know, songwriter, author, book writer, I mean, writing is writing, creating is creating an art is art. And there's always, I think, an overlap with music, with music and with, and with writing. Um, and there's certainly a, a big element of music in this book mm-hmm. and with the characters that, that, that Craig was impersonating, mm-hmm. um, and some of the chapters, as we were discussing the other day, uh, named after famous songs and things like that. So mm-hmm. tell me tell me where music kind of fits into all of this.
2: Music was a huge part of Craig and Lori's lives. Um, Craig, being their performer, he had a very, very wide catalogue. Of songs that he could perform, he, as far as I know, only co-wrote uh, one song that was actually recorded. So he was recording other people's music, um but all were songs. None of them were were songs that were. If you listen to to songs from the 50s and the 60s, a lot of them were written for women by men, and they make the woman very submissive. Right. And I, right. Whereas Craig wasn't drawn to that. He was. He loved music that empowered um and maybe displayed vulnerability but but kept strength within whatever character he was he was um he was portraying so he would sing lily marlene by marlene dietrich and um falling in love again by marlene dietrich uh, may west frankie and johnny my man friday like may west was so Sexual, you know she was the queen of sex, and she wasn't afraid to express that in a time when other icons were people like Judy Garland and The Wizard of Oz, just not sex- and um meet me in St Louis like not sexualized characters at all um and he she was out there singing about wanting men and having lust and and Craig was drawn to that, and that certainly came out in his music and in and in his characters um You know, there were some really tender songs as well. You know, What Will I Do by Nat King Cole, I think is, you know, just such a heartbreaking song. What will I do without you? You know, and it's a beautiful sentiment that I think anyone can relate to. Lori, um, coming a generation after Craig, she was 10 years younger than Craig. She loved the classics um, and current songs, too. She was a huge Bowie fan. Uh, Love David Bowie. Um, she also loved Peter Allen. People, musicians who in their art and their music were expressive, um, at times flamboyant, um, teased at gender norms even. Um, so she loved Peter Allen. Don't Cry Out Loud was one of her mm-hmm. favorite songs. Um, Courage Madame by, by Peggy Lee was a song that reminded her of her own trauma and finding strength and love and um, you know, a song that even makes me tearful and maybe many listeners can appreciate this. Craig performed it as Judy Garland at the end of most of his shows was Over the Rainbow. And the sentiment in there was just so fitting for Craig where through his art, he was he was reaching for the other side where he thought everything would be better. And if, you know, he had a signature song, I think Over the Rainbow might be uh, might be it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, just beautiful. I have to say, too, <laughs> this is a little bit funny. I wasn't familiar with this kind of music catalog, you know. I I grew up. I was a teenager in the grunge era, and yeah, you know, yeah. and rock, and and I also like old rock and classic rock. But so I wasn't used to listening to some of these artists. And I made playlists for myself that I would listen to while I was writing. And I forgot that on some platforms, people can see what you're listening to. And uh, I got message from a friend of mine one time. He's like what the hell are you listening to? <laughs> like you've yeah. got from, you've got from Dave Matthews band to, you know, Marlene Dietrich and Mae West and Carol Channing, like who are, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. And, uh, but it was really helped me put myself, that's the magic of music, right. It's very interpretive yeah. Yeah. and it really helped put me in the feelings and, and places where Craig and Lori were when they were into the music themselves.
0: Yeah, no, it's phenomenal. No, I mean, a bit of an eye-opener for me as well as as I dig into the music catalog. I mean, I was familiar with some of the songs and certainly a lot of the um, the the female artists that we referenced. Um, and I was a big movie guy and I loved to watch old movies and my parents were into old movies and the PBS channels were always on. And, you know, if I maybe I was home sick one afternoon, those might be kind of the movies you'd catch in the afternoon too, those old black and whites. Um, and it was always the music that drew me in. Um, so for me, um, I was always one of those oddballs anyways, that, you know, my friends were listening to Judas Priest or ACDC at the time. And I was listening to that, but I was also listening to, you know, Benny Goodman or the Sex Pistols or Janis Joplin or, you know, Bessie Smith or or whatever. So, um, but yeah, it's very cool. And I think, um, you know, in, in some respects, Craig, like Mae West, obviously ahead of his time, um, you know, sometimes it takes the time a while to catch up and, I think, you know, people kind of come together. I mean, obviously Mae West presented very strong on the outside as well, but as you kind of get into the book and realize that, you know, it was a bit of a defense, a bit of a wall. um, And she was very quick to turn her back on people who betrayed her, disappointed her, which Mm -hmm. inevitably is what led to her and Craig uh, no longer being friends. And they never did rekindle at that um, at at any point. And you, you get the sense that, I mean, obviously it, it just destroyed Craig at first, but he recovered and rebounded back and um, and became very successful, but they never had a chance to sort of make up and she never gave him that chance, whether he wanted to or not. I don't know, but it sounds like from interviews that you had quoted and things that he wasn't bitter and he still held her in high esteem. Um, although maybe she did not feel the same way. Maybe she felt more threatened by him.
2: Yes. May was always part of, of his act always part of his art and always part of his press you know yeah. I think it always was an intrigue that this this kid who grew up in Scarborough and Port Perry you know lived with Mae West you know that to me even today is like mind-boggling you know you really um right. and you know she absolutely was a role model to him and they had a falling out of which is, is a little murky as to what could have happened it um Craig it was potentially Craig actually was victimized in their falling out um or he was at fault where he got carried away in in her world and using her materials and going out to nightclubs and and so no matter what happened Craig was damaged but his love for her was so deep that I it never went never went away. Even in the '80s, when he got a dog, you know, he had two dogs. One of his dogs' name was Baby May. You know, oh, no Craig was deeply <laughs> part of, and Lori, like excuse me Laurie later had that dog. But uh, you know, May was certainly part of Craig's soul. Yeah, that,
0: that's awesome.
4: I didn't know what time it was, the lights were low, oh oh I leaned back on my radio, oh, oh, Some cat was laying down, some rock and roll at a solar shell Then the loud sound
5: This is time.
0: That was David Bowie with Starman, his hit song from the Ziggy Stardust album and a favorite of Laurie Russell Edie's. Tell me a little bit about the process, what it was like, I mean, researching and reaching out and, and you know, getting information from a lot of people that knew Craig or knew of him, um, mm-hmm. meeting people and, and talking to them personally. I mean, and, and you never met Craig yourself. So, mm-hmm. but you get the impression reading this book that you knew him so well Um you know, so the connection that you had with people, and, and it sounds like a lot of people were very willing. And I'm sure, like any project, some people were not willing. But tell me a little bit about I mean, that must have been exciting. It must have been joyous. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about how that's actually kind of how you got to know Coral Andrews was through one of Craig's friends, ironically. Um, mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about that the research and, and meeting some of the people that were in his life.
2: It's really, really interesting because. I didn't have to do this. It was like a little something in my brain. As soon as I knew the name that it felt like something I had to know. And there were periods where I didn't do anything and it nodded at me. Mm. You have to be doing this. Yeah. It's I, you know, not to sound hokey. I believe I was meant to follow this outrageous path. And, you know, when I started, it was before social media. So it, it literally was looking up clips on microfiche Mm. and trying to find there were message boards online at one point I crossed Lori's path but I didn't get to talk to her directly on a message board trying to find information and you know I was blessed as social media opened up YouTube digitized files from newspapers and magazines and it's like almost maybe falling downhill that once I started it just increased speed as I went along and um it, at one point, I'm looking at people in the phone book and going to libraries to find phone books for other municipalities, trying to find them. And eventually, you know, I was able to Canada 411 and, and Facebook and find people. And so much so that a few people, you know, two days before I looked, Paul Hoffert, who is in the band Lighthouse. Yeah. Huge name in Canadian music. Never expected what I get to get in front of him two days after sending him an email, I'm sitting in his living room with his grand piano behind me and Juno Awards on the wall, having a conversation about Craig Russell. Oh my goodness. I was a little bit like like Craig with me, like yeah, what brought me here. <laughs> I'm so lucky, and I'm so grateful um, and and so blessed. And in the end, I think the book has eighteen pages of of my research. And I did over 100 interviews with people who uh, were part of Craig's and Laurie's lives.
0: Incredible. Incredible. I'm I'm always staggered to see how how much work goes into a book or a screenplay or a movie and and things like that. And, you know, I write little three-minute songs, and sometimes I labor over them, and sometimes they come out in about 15 or 20 minutes. So I'm kind of blessed that I, uh, but it doesn't seem like it was, I mean, I know it was a lot of hard work and and a lot of diligence, but it doesn't seem that torturous. It sounds more like a labor of love.
2: Never felt like work, not at one point. Maybe the only work was writing out a bibliography following a particular style guide. That was hard, (laughs) but the rest (laughs) of it was fine. And some of the writing actually, I remember I got a little stuck or I'm not or discouraged about writing the ending. How am I going to summarize this? Right. And like, how? And finally, when I did, it fell out of me as if I wasn't even thinking about it. And I read it now and I think I got a good, I did it right. I did a good job. And, you know, in terms of releasing a book in a pandemic, you know, I didn't make a New York Times or Toronto Star bestseller list. But you know what? Craig's and Lori's family and friends read that book and they learned about Craig and Lori through me, too, because both had private in their own ways. But right. they told me I got it right. Beautiful. And um, that must that be nice to hear. I can you know, I didn't meet Craig and Lori. Although, oddly enough, I'd been in Lori's orbit and she had been in mine. Yeah. Um, Laurie did pass away in 2008. Um, but so there was a period of time there. We were both in Toronto and I, you know, she worked for Mervis Productions. And I went back and looked at all my books. She was working in several Mervis Productions that I saw. Oh, no. And I just think, <laughs> you never know who's, in, who's yeah. in your orbit. And one day that they will mean something to you, both for me and for lori and uh it's really wild and that kind of ties back to this whole process and how it went felt like it was meant to be and like i was meant to do it and i i maybe i hope that doesn't sound too full of myself but i do i i strongly feel that way yeah i i, I believe in that a
0: little bit and and i and it does feel like that um and, you know, and maybe in a little strange little way, I I was meant to meet you so we can keep talking about this. And because, I mean, it it really is a great book about an amazing uh, Canadian or amazing Canadian couple um, and and such an amazing time in, in our history in this country and in, in Toronto. And, uh, you know, I think I would love everybody to read this book. I mean, it's just outrageous misfits by Brian Bradley. It's it's just been so blessed. Um getting a chance to talk to you today about this book and, and I want to wrap things up. Uh, I mean, I could talk to you all afternoon. We can go through this chapter by chapter (laughs) and I would drive you nuts. And I know we were messaging back and forth the other day (laughs) and I, and I will continue to send you messages um, about this book because I, I think I'm going to have to go back and read it again. Um, But I know we're getting tight on time here and, um, and I want to have a chance to include some of the songs that we talked Mm. about um, in the, in the interview as well. So um, I want to wrap things up with the, uh, with the questionnaire yeah. um that was uh made famous by james lipton of the actor's studio originally created by bernard pivo a french interviewer uh if you're feeling up to that you bet i'm here for it all right and uh we may end up uh you know having to come back at some point and talk about this book some more i think um you know i think i think it's going to hopefully um you know enlighten a lot of people about uh about craig russell and about laurie and about um canadian culture and, and art and uh so thank I think you again. Con-
2: conclusion. Thank you for having me. You know, I'm so glad that you were willing. And I love your enthusiasm, it means a lot because one a conclusion for the book, although I touched on it at the beginning, is that Craig and Lori seem so different mm-hmm. on paper. You think they're very different from you, but they needed belonging, acceptance, and love, period. And that's right. something we all need. And so as much as I thought when I was researching Craig, I was researching someone so different from me, uh, both Craig and Lori are just like you. They're just like me. They're just like everyone else. They they needed belonging, acceptance, and love. And if and if we did that for everyone, we would go a long way.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you 100. And especially, you know, after what we've been through and what we continue to go through at, at this time and the last couple of years, you know, both politically with division and and with the pandemic and all these things. And it, and it's interesting. There was a survey um and again i don't know because this is the world that we're in now you have to well who did the survey and where what's their what's their agenda but i mean there was a survey that i read last year and it it was interviewing it was done in the states and they're interviewing republicans and democrats and what they really found is there's way more similarities among people than there are differences Mm -hmm. um and i and i think the problem is that we always focus on those little differences and then we draw that line in the sand and and everybody gets so dug in as opposed to just having a conversation and opening up our hearts and our minds a little bit. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, uh, I think you've done this, done that with this book. So, all right. Thank you. So let's get into this questionnaire. Um, let me just, uh, shuffle some notes here.
2: All right, Brian, what is your favorite word? Love. I think we, we need to remind each other that we're loved in this world. I agree. What is your least favorite word these days? COVID <laughs> it's, it's so many people are impacted so much devastation and it's on a selfish point. It's impacted my ability to go out and share this book.
0: Mm-hmm. What turned you
2: on creatively, spiritually, emotionally? I think that would be passion. You know, I've learned that passion can drive your creative interests. You know, Craig and Lori are great examples of that. It can also drive your spiritual journey And it can drive your emotional journey as well. We need to not harness our passion. We need to express it. Beautifully said. Uh, What turned you off? Judgment of others. Uh, Certainly learned through Craig and Lori how that could hinder someone. Mm -hmm. Uh, What is your favorite curse word? It's what's the rating on this show? Uh in uh curling, my um, it's not un- at the curling club, it's not uncommon for my for me to uh yell the S H I T word and have it echo through the club after I miss a rock. No problem. We can say that <laughs> word. We we we've gotten away with worse, but we try to okay. stay away. We try we
0: try to stay away from the big one. I think you know what that one is. Yes. Um, but um yeah, it's funny. That was the the first word that, uh, unfortunately my son learned. And I won't tell you, I won't tell you how I was going to say, I won't tell you how old he is. I won't tell you how young he is. Um, but he, I, I would have a habit of, you know, getting frustrated with something and I would just blurt it out. Shit. Um, and my wife and I were upstairs one day and we heard him trying to get his boots on and trying to tie his laces for the first time. And all of a sudden we just hear Shit. <laughs> my wife, my wife looks at me and goes, he got that from you. I'm yeah, guilty as charged. Um, but you know, sometimes you just need to have those
2: expressions. Mm-hmm. Um all right. What sound or noise do you love? Laughter. Not only is it the best medicine, but uh it was Joni Mitchell who wrote that Laughter and Tears is the same release. So we oh, gotta have laughter. Nice.
0: Joni Mitchell, there's another great one. Mm. Thankfully, still with us. Um,
2: yes what sound or noise do you hate? Traffic. It's uh, not unfamiliar to me. I spent 15 years in Toronto and it's in my bones. But uh, once I bought a house and moved to Hamilton, it was nice to have uh, quiet when I wasn't in the city.
0: I bet. Yeah, I did the Toronto commute for several years and it was soul stealing. Um, (laughs) All right. (laughs) What profession other than your own would you like to attempt?
2: I think theater or film production, um, working behind the scenes, not in Mm -hmm. front of the curtain. Uh, When I learned about the making of Outrageous, the movie Craig was in, or learning about the productions that Laurie worked on, I was really, really jazzed to learn about those environments and all the things that go on. So I'd love a career in theater or film production. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Uh, What profession would you not like to do? landscaping working in the dirt uh, you know one of my best friends is a landscape contractor and he's done a lot of work on on my home uh rebuilding out you know stone patios and things like that mm-hmm. and i've learned that i am better suited to hire out for those kinds of jobs <laughs> i agree with you
0: uh you know <laughs> it, it, you know i always hear the stories about george harrison and his massive gardens and how he found that very <laughs> uh you know nurturing and very sort of soothing and uh you know reflective meditative moments and i think yeah i love to sit out in the gardens when they're nice and when they're beautiful but i don't like to be the guy that's having yeah. to, to do all that work i mean
2: yeah it, i like gardening but you know when i had to dig you know six feet you know to put in posts for a fence post for uh for my deck i was thinking i would just rather sit back with a beer and pay someone to do it
0: <laughs> yeah yeah landscaping is a, l- a lot bigger than just your regular gardening <laughs> pulling weeds and planting flowers i don't mind some of that and it's nice to be outside and, and get your hands dirty and feel like you've accomplished something but when it comes down mm-hmm. to Especially the older I get too. I'm just like, oh man, I had (laughs) thrown out my back last year. I couldn't do anything except lay around Mm. and soak up the sun and uh, which isn't so bad, but um, all right. Uh, And lastly, if
2: heaven exists,
0: what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates?
2: Uh, I'd like him to say, let me take you to your grandparents and your dog. They have been waiting for you. (laughs) So, Speaking yes. of dog, my other dog just barked. Sorry about that <laughs>
0: that's okay. I love dogs and, and that comes up a lot in this show where we have dogs at the beginning or the end or the middle, and uh, sometimes we digress to a 20 minute conversation about dogs but we have a, we have a beautiful golden retriever husky and uh, I often oh. mix I will often call her Shauna, which was my dog's name when I was a teenager and uh-huh. but she's my son's dog nova um and we had a black lab as well, and uh we're actually talking about getting another dog to keep this dog uh, company
2: yeah we've had my family's had two for a while and they Penny and Allie were in my company for the lot of time of the time I was working on the book actually and uh, I lost a Penny just last this last summer and then got a puppy so no time to work on another book right now I am in I'm in puppy mode in my house well I was
0: going to ask you um, is there another book in the future is it going to be mm-hmm. kind of a follow-up to this book or is mm-hmm. there other topics that there that are interesting you
2: yeah. Um, there's several topics that interest me, you know, the Craig, Craig and Lori, they took me down a lot of avenues and i certainly learned a lot about a lot of interesting people and with COVID uh, limiting what I can do in terms of going out right now to promote misfits. It's been out for 18 months, mm-hmm. almost. Um, I'm actually thinking of a follow-up tying together mini biographies of some of all these interesting people who I got to learn about people like Gino Empri running the Royal York Imperial room and, and befriending the stars and um people like uh toller cranston and um wonderful artists and you know i'd love to do something where i'm exploring more more outrageous misfits
0: nice i love it all right well brian bradley thank you again for uh, joining us this week on musicians faq it's been such a privilege and a pleasure uh the book is outrageous misfits Make sure you pick up a copy Um, and we got a second or two at the end. Maybe you want to sort of plug um, where the best places to find the book and uh, any social media links or anything that you want to promote uh, before we sign off.
2: Thank you. Yes. Outrageous Misfits is available at all major retailers, including Indigo. It's also available at our independent retailers, so uh, booksellers and so on. So shout out to our small businesses and it's available online as well. Um, and hopefully when we can all be together again, maybe you'll see me pop up at events here and there. Uh, my name is Brian Bradley and you can find me on uh, Twitter most commonly, which is at Brian J Bradley.
0: Perfect. Thank you again. Yeah. I'll have to get my book signed as well. So when we do, I want to meet you
2: now and watch people work in our yards and we'll talk about ah,
0: perfect. Yeah. There you go. That sounds like an afternoon for sure. (laughs) All right. Thanks again, Brian. Take care. Thank you for having me.
2: Hi, this is Brian Bradley, author of Outrageous Misfits, female impersonator Craig Russell, and his wife, Lori Russellidi. And you are listening to Musicians FAQ on CKMS 102.7 Radio Waterloo with your host, Stuart McKee.
6: chimney tops that's what where-
0: That, of course, was the great Judy Garland with Somewhere Over the Rainbow, the song that Craig Russell would perform at the end of his show. Thank you for listening to Musicians FAQ this week. My name is Stuart McKee. And before we go, I just wanted to say thank you again to Coral Andrews, the mutual friend who brought Brian and I together for this interview. I have a quick clip of Brian telling me the story about how a mutual friend brought him and Coral Andrews together as well. And for the final song of the show today, my favorite Steely Dan song, Dirty Work, which my guest Brian Bradley would play often when he was writing his book, Outrageous Misfits. I have to make sure we give a shout out to Coral Andrews for for introducing us. <laughs> yeah. um, Coral
2: is awesome. and uh, It's yeah, really so- interesting how I got in front of Coral because... Um, once I tried really hard to find friends of Lori's, but Lori's relationships were very fragmented. So I couldn't go to her sister and be like, who was her best friend? You know, what's her contact? I had to find it out and I had a hard time finding people. And um, it was after the book was out, uh, one of Lori's best friends came across the book who I was never able to find. And she reached out to me. And unfortunately, I couldn't include her um, in the book, it was already out. Um, but she's been a huge supporter and she said hey do you know my my friend Coral Andrews and I said well I knew of Coral's work and she's also written for Torstar and so it was really neat how Lori, in a little way had a little part of bringing me to your show.
0: Oh that's cool yeah six degrees of separation.
7: stay here just to say I'm a fool to do your dirty work oh yeah I don't want to do your dirty work no more I'm a fool to do your dirty work oh yeah
0: Thank you for listening to Musicians FAQ Podcast with your host, Stuart McKee. We're here every week with great Canadian musical artists.